Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Isaiah 64, beginning at verse 1. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us unto the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. The one that is in our bulletin is a gospel lesson. Please rise and stand if you are able reading from the book of Mark. As soon as I find it. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 24, the coming of the Son of Man. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch, therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of God for the children of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. You may be seated. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That as we journey through this sacred season, we would reclaim the ways that you have called us towards. That we would look towards the birth of your Son, our Savior, seeing hope, peace, joy, and love in all things. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as a pastor, it's, it's sometimes really hard to, to truly like celebrate like some of these holy seasons like Advent and Lent and Christmas and Easter. And I kind of liken it to it's also really tough as a pastor to truly worship, right? There's a difference between leading worship and actually worshiping. And so I don't say that as a knock against my role as a pastor. What I say is that in that, when, when there's sort of that tension, we have to find those opportunities, especially as clergy, to practice these places where we often lead. And one of the things that I've been able to do recently is to go on these uh, spiritual retreats with clergy in our conference. And as we were at this last one, we were talking about what we were looking towards during our Advent season or what was filling us uh, with anxiety, what was filling us with stress. And friends, Advent should just be named the stress season because there is nothing calm or easy about the month of December. Amen? Amen. But you see, it was on this retreat where something that one of my colleagues, very dear colleague of mine named Debbie Bogham, so was talking about how these themes, right, hope, peace, joy, love, these themes that we look at during Advent, about how often we actually see them in our world. How much are we actually joyful? How much are we actually loving? How much are we actually peaceful? How much hope do we actually have? As I sat there and listened to her talk, I, I shared this sentiment because um, it was in October when I'm struggling with what to preach for Advent. I had a bunch of things kind of jump out at me, but nothing where I felt like God was, was speaking that this is a message that needs to be spoken this Advent season. 
But as she talked about this sense of, of losing this sense of joy, of peace, of love, and of hope during our time, I felt this draw to reclaim those things. Right? We, we have this struggle with divisiveness, with a, a global pandemic, with partisan division. With our, our church is fracturing. And we're entering this season where I have to preach about hope, peace, joy, and love. And it hit me right then that the reason I couldn't think of anything to preach on this Advent season was because I too often felt hopeless, joyless, chaotic. And to be honest, sometimes not very loving. I felt like I had forgotten about these themes. And not to make myself the model Christian, I don't think that I am at all, but I thought if I had forgotten about these things, then what did that mean for the group of people whom I teach pastor and preach to on a weekly basis. Have we all lost these ideas? Have we all lost the sense of this spirit? If I were to ask you if you felt joyful right now moving towards Christmas, how many of us would actually say yes? How many of us in this time, if I asked you if you were hopeful for the future, would you say yes? Friends, I think it's time for us to look at these themes of Advent and to look at Christmas and to, to find a way to reclaim these ideals as a church. To reclaim Advent, to reclaim Christmas. This is, this is in no way related to any of the war on Christmas stuff that we see on the TV. Nobody's coming after us. Nobody is persecuting us for our beliefs. In fact, I believe it is us. We have forgotten these things. We have forgot what it means to hold on to each one of these ideas. We have lost the spirit, the spirit of Advent and the spirit of Christmas. And we've lost the spirit embedded in the incarnation. And so I want to fill us with that spirit, reevaluate what these things mean. You know, Advent derives from the Latin word Adventus. It means coming or visit. And in the early church, it started as this season, just like Lent, it started as a season of preparation, Right? We're working ourselves towards Christmas. And so in these last few weeks before Christmas, we need to do a lot of inward work in ourselves. Right? It's not just about setting up the tree. It's not about putting all the lights in the front yard. Friends, there is some inward work for us to do because on December 24th, when we gather in this church at 7 p.m., and on December 25th, we are going to come face to face with a Savior who is a real person on this earth, who was incarnated and took the form of a human being. And so we need to prepare ourselves, draw our attention inward to make sure that we are ready, not just for the birth of Christ on Christmas, friends, but for that second coming as well. And so we begin, we begin this Advent season with this idea of reclaiming hope. And yet, I'm sure as, you, as we responsively read that psalm, as we heard the beautiful scripture read from Isaiah, as we even heard the scripture from Mark, you're like, Pastor, what is there in that scripture to be hopeful for? Those sounded like really downer scriptures. 
Right? We have the psalmist who's crying about being restored, about feeling empty, about feeling broken. We have Isaiah who is crying out to God, God, just come down here. We have Jesus who's saying, like, look, the end is coming. Y'all better be ready. Keep awake. Keep alert. But see, when we dive deeper into these scriptures, we realize that what is being said is calling us as a society, as a people, to encounter what it means to seek Christ. Right? We begin Advent in, in hope. And consequently also begin Advent with these apocalyptic scriptures. If you look in your notes there, you'll see apocalyptic literature. I, I, I looked it up just I, I usually know what it means, but it's always really difficult to explain. And so what I found is it's, it's this type and style of writing, especially for us Christians in the Bible, that comes about during times of crisis, during times of oppression. And it's, it's very much prophetic towards this idea of God's sovereignty, God's reign, God's work within humanity. And so what do we have here? We have Isaiah 64 and we have Mark 13, these two apocalyptic texts that are written during these very oppressive and crises times. Right when we dive in to this story, to this verse here in Isaiah, it's, it's nested within this third section of Isaiah, third Isaiah from, verse, from chapters 40 to 66. And it's written during this time when the nation of Israel has returned to Israel off the back of the Babylonian exile. They spent all of this time living outside of their own land. And as they come back, they need a prophetic witness about the work that God is going to do. And so you may read this last section of Isaiah and, and think to yourself, oh my goodness, this sounds like a highly depressed people. They're crying out to God. And yet, as we look, even here in Isaiah 64, we hear the crawls. And similar to these ideas of lament that we see throughout the Psalms. We begin to hear the cries of the people yearning for this relationship with God. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. In the midst of lostness, the writer here in Isaiah wants God to be known. And as we continue to look in this structure of lament in this passage, we see that the writer is calling upon God first in this spirit of anger. They just want God to do something. And then it's almost therapeutic because the more and more we see the writer here in Isaiah complain, the further along we get from verses one to two to three to four, all the way down to our last verse in verse nine. Now we begin to see the hopeful optimism of what God can do in the world. And it's in the end message that this message of hopefulness begins to come forth. The writer does not think that God has truly abandoned them. But do you ever feel that time where you just need to feel empty in order to be reminded of how whole you actually are? And we hear those two verses later. Yet, O oh Lord, you are the father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. We are all your people. We go from Lord, tear down the heavens and come down to us. To Lord, you are the potter. I am the clay. We are the work of your hands. 
right? Our hope is founded in God's gracious actions towards us, towards humanity, and it's found then in the incarnation. Why? Because when we call out for God to come down, to be with us, to watch over us, to save us, when we as Christians look at chapters and passages from Isaiah, Isaiah, we see a very... Isaiah is meant to be a messianic prophecy. It's meant to point towards a Messiah. And we, uh, as Christians, look at a lot of the passages in Isaiah calling us towards this image of Christ coming into our lives. And so we look and we see we call for God to come down and God comes down in the person of Jesus. And we begin to see that hope is not meant to define our future, but hope is meant to define our present. Right? Our denomination has been talking a lot about hope lately. In fact, our bishop is now releasing episodes on our conference's podcast channel called Strength for Today, Bright Hope for Tomorrow. And I was like, oh man, she's really getting into the Advent spirit a little early this year. We've been talking a lot about hope because we feel hopeless with everything that's been happening in our church, in our denomination, all the disagreements, all the arguments. And that's just the church. Right? We have the disaffiliations. We have a, a general conference that's coming up in April and May next year. We feel like hope is lost for this denomination. We have people already giving up on God's work here through this ministry. And then I hear things like, it's the most important Advent and Christmas of our modern times. Well, as a millennial, I feel like I hear that every year. <laughs> because I feel like every moment that we live in should be important. The problem is when we define that it's the most important time, we never do anything about it. We never respond to the call. We never seek healing. We just allow it to exist. We never resolve any conflicts. And so then this cycle and fracturing of relationships just keeps on continuing. It's no wonder sometimes that we are beaten down. But we have an opportunity here as we read through these scriptures to find that hope that we feel like we have lost. Right? When we look and we, we move ourselves towards Mark 13, we look and we see this passage. It almost feels like it's just kind of tossed in there between 12 and 14. Right? If you look at 12, you see Jesus telling all these parables and having all these stories with all these other people. And then you move to 14 and Jesus is about to get killed. And so right in the middle there, Jesus is like, hey, I'm about to die, but don't worry. I'm going to come back. I'm going to save all of you. And so y'all need to be alert. Y'all need to be aware because you don't know when I'm coming back. I'm not telling you. So we ask, like, why was this? Why did Mark and, and Matthew and, and Luke, right? It's in the, all this, the, these passages are in all the synoptic gospels. Why did they put these passages here? And we remember just as the Israelites coming back from the Babylonian exile needed hope, so too do these Christians in the first century, in first century Christianity need that hope that the work, that the faith, that the belief that they have means something to keep that faith and hope alive. The truth is no one knew when Christ was going to come back. In fact, the reason that we look and we see passages like only one generation will pass, like they literally thought that like Jesus was going to be gone for like a few years. 
But then like other people, their friends and family, they started dying and they got concerned that they were not going to be saved. Right? They thought Jesus was going to leave, was going to, you know, clean, clean up the house of heaven and then come back down once he finished cleaning. But see, here's the thing that we often miss when we read passages like this is it's not about when, but it's about what we do in the meantime. Right? Reclaiming hope means that we know what we are looking towards in our lives. What we are living for in our lives. Right? What's Christ telling us? Christ is telling us, keep alert, keep awake. Because we don't know when it's coming. We don't need to guess when it's coming. We don't even need to try and bring it about ourselves. Christ is like, look, it's coming. And so in the meantime, don't forget about it. So his last four verses that I love, because listen to him again, right? Be aware, beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come, right? We don't know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Right? We, we don't know when Christ is coming back, nor really should we. I don't need to spend my time thinking about when the end of the world is. Why? Because I have work to do right here, right now. The hope that we live in is that we are assured of our salvation. Christ calls us to readiness, and by readiness, Christ means acceptance. Right? Look at that story. What does the master not want to happen? The master doesn't want to happen for the, for the people at the house to forget that the master exists. It doesn't matter how long the master is gone. The master could be gone for two days. The master could be gone for two years. The master could be gone for 2,000 years. But what does the master not want to happen? The master doesn't want to forget that those who are left at the house forget who the master is and forget that the work that the master has left them to do. We cannot live our lives in the ambiguity of hopelessness. Because when we do, we lose sight of the one who has left us here to do this work. The one who continues to watch over us. The one who continues to look out for us. And the one who promises to return. The hope we live in is that Christ will come back. And knowing Christ is coming back, we live in this hope each and every day. Living as if God is coming. And in living as if God is coming, we do the work that God calls us to do. Our readiness for Christ's return set the stage for us to live into who we are called to be. I don't have to worry about the end of the world. I don't even really care if people on the news are saying that the end of the world is coming, that the four horsemen of the apocalypse have already have, have presented themselves, that all this war, that all this hatred, they're all signs. Friends, I don't really care. If the end of the world is coming, let it. But I have something to do right here, right now. My hope is already assured that in the end of the world, that God has, sa- has saved me already. Amen? Amen? And so what is my role to do here right now? My role is to live in that hope, to be reminded that God is with us. And in being reminded that God is with us, to live in, to help others, to seek God's grace and peace 
throughout the world. And that may sound weird. But if the world ends tomorrow, at least I know that what I've done today is the work that God has called me to do. We are meant to be beacons of God's reign. We're meant to take that message of knowing that Christ is returning, of knowing that God is bringing heaven to earth and to live each and every day transformed by that message. Keep awake and keep alert is not, a, is not an anxiety-inducing thing. It doesn't mean that we try and check days off the calendar. It doesn't mean that we try and do some mathematical thing to try and figure out when the world is going to end. It means that right here, right now, God has called us to something. We've lost hope because we've gotten so focused on other things. We've gotten so focused on, on all of the hatred, on all of the war, on all of the condemnation. But our awakeness and our alertness is defined by our willingness to be children of God. Our yearning for the second coming is a yearning of assuredness. It is knowing that God is out there. It is our faith. It is our belief. It does not call us to abuse the earth and its people. It calls us to be children of God, to live every day loving God, loving neighbor, and loving ourself. Right? We stay alert by never forgetting about God. By remembering who God is for us and what God calls us to do. We focus our hearts and our lives on God's sanctification, on God's work of perfecting us each and every day. We look forward to the day when Christ returns. But we don't just live our lives waiting, expecting it to happen. We live our lives alert by the one who will make it happen and by the call that is placed on our lives. We stay alert by living as God calls us to live. 